welcome to Conversations with Crystal. I'm your hostess, Crystal, and thank you for joining us this evening. That piece of music you've just heard is some acoustic blues from our guest this evening, Scotty Burford. G'day, Scotty. How are you tonight? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, Scotty. I'm really, really good. Excellent. Been a wet day today, hasn't it? Oh, it's been very wet this afternoon. Yeah, good for ducks. Very much so. (laughs) I'm really excited to talk to you, Scotty, because I've seen you on Facebook for for a few years now with your world record attempts at different things. So I'd like to talk about those a little bit later. But um, also I know you as a a pretty good guitarist, I must say, and also that you're in a duo with uh, Bianca Teremi. Yes. So we'd like to talk about that a little bit later on also, if that's okay. Yeah. All right. So first of all, I'd like just tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, You know, what is it you like to do? Who are you and what do you do for a day job? Okay. Uh, Well, Scotty Burford um, and... I never actually had um, had a day job, to be honest. I've worked in music uh, for a very long time, um, doing all sorts of things. And so uh, I guess the obvious thing is is gigs. I've done a lot of gigs. Um, and I'll, at the moment, I'm, I'm quite busy with gigs again. So I'm doing anything up to six gigs a week. But That's awesome. Which is great. Um, but in the past, I've done a lot of studio work, um, both playing on on albums and and doing you know um, things for film and television and advertising and whatever. Um, but also at one stage, I used to do a lot of work with um, you know independent guitar makers and the like, and and various companies actually promoting their gear. Um, oh wow! Which was fun. That became a, a bit of a, a niche thing for a while. Um. And um, <clears throat> do that. Um, I've yeah. I've also you know done things like um, I, I used to actually write music charts for singer songwriters when they were touring. They were touring with an album that you know like at one stage a lot of club bands. I don't think this exists anywhere in Australia anymore that I can work out. But you'd, you'd have uh, you know like a club would have a house band. And they might have an artist that's touring. They just come in and pass out the charts to the musicians in the club band and and perform them at their gigs. I used to do. Uh, I used to write write manuscript out for manuscript. Sorry, out for um, you know for singers that were touring, um, touring an album or whatever. Um, yeah, been a gear demo. That's wonderful. That's a, that you've Sorry. done a lot of things. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, I guess with that, I decided very early on when I was seriously thinking about becoming a musician and, and trying to work out how I was going to make money from it was that uh, I couldn't just put all my eggs in one basket. Um, True. You know, I, I think that's where a lot of musicians get stuck. So they, they think that they, you know, the chances of becoming a star, are, you know, 10 million to one or whatever, like, you know, just make up whatever thing you're figuring up, figure that you yeah. want with that. In reality, that's highly unlikely. Um, you know, and even if you do get signed, you're still very unlikely to make money from it um, and have a sustainable yes. career, but you end up becoming a slave to a record company, um, 
you know, a little bit off tangent, but like when I was in my early 20s, I was in a couple of bands that Sony were interested in signing. Oh. And nothing ever came of it for a couple of different reasons. Um, both bands ended up breaking up, which I had nothing to do with that. Um, but, um, you know, with that, but I'm actually really glad that nothing ever came of that because if I had have signed, signed my life away to Sony, I probably would have just ended up in debt paying the record company back for the advance they give out. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think very early on, I started thinking that I really should develop a range of skills that would Mm -hmm. allow me to generate income streams, I guess. Um, That's the smart way of thinking about it, I think, because uh, many musicians, that's what they want to do is what you're doing is make it their full-time thing. Yeah. And they don't have either the contacts or the get up and go to do it. They think it's going to come knocking at their door and an actual fact, it's a lot of hard work. Oh, that's very true. You know, once again, going back to when I was in my early 20s, I oh, I won't say who they were, but they were a very big band in Australia at the time. And I used to know those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they too were supporting some big international acts and things like that. And I used to teach guitar at a music shop and they used to rehearse there because one of them was friends with the guy who owned the music shop. They used to rehearse in, the, in one of the studios there. And I remember talking to the guitarist once and, they were like, oh, no, this is what we do. You know, we're in this band. And, and I said to him once, well, this style of music, which was grunge, you know, I said, yep. when that passes, what, what are you going to do? Oh, no, no, it's never going away. And, you know, <laughs> I thought, no, you, you can't. Famous think. last words. Yeah, even, even then, you know, like I knew that as much as I love certain styles of music and certain musicians and everything, you know, very few musicians can do the same thing forever. Um, you know, and live on live on something like you know maybe Paul McCartney can, um, and, and but you know he was yeah. in the Beatles, or yeah. you know like but I mean he's obviously done stuff since then. But it's very hard to to actually have a sustained career just in one genre or or whatever. Um, Absolutely, you've got to kind of move with the times. That's oh, for very sure. much so. So I think with that, mm. um, like professionally, I've played rock, pop, jazz, folk, classical, country. Um, funk music. I've played in pit orchestras in shows. Um, you know, I've played on awful television ads and whatever else. Oh. And I've done all of that. And some of it I've actually thought was quite awful, what I have played, but it's, <laughs> I've made money from it and I've learned some yeah. things. You know, like there was a, a band I did some shows with oh, probably 15 years ago or so. And I didn't really like their material. They had some really good paying corporate gigs. So I just jumped in and went, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll do that. Um, you know, and look, I'm not a big Kylie Minogue fan necessarily. Uh, yeah. And they had two girls that were singing uh, in the show and they'd pick some Kylie Minogue songs and I actually had to learn them. And I went, there's a couple of really cool little keyboard lines. I'm going to learn, learn those and work them out on the guitar and see what I can take from that. And I, I think cool. that's another thing with, you know, longevity as a musician is being willing to listen to things and being open to other ideas instead of just rejecting it straight up. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why I've actually been able to work so much because I've had, you know, different, uh, different opportunities, I guess, come to me that, um, that have, have given me, you know, uh, that I, I may not be, 
particularly, you know, uh, well versed in some of these musical styles or whatever. But I've said, oh, I'll have a go at that. Um, yeah. Or yeah, no, no worries. Like I can do that. Like um, I've done some pretty big country gigs, and when I first got approached from someone, it was not a genre I'd really played very much or listened to very much. And yeah, someone right. said, "Oh, we've got this thing coming up at a festival. I've, you know, I've heard you can write charts. Can you write charts for my band?" I went, oh, "I can do that." So I wrote the charts out for the band. He said, "And can you be the music director and be the guitarist?" And fantastic. Oh, no worries, I can do that. And then I spent three weeks just woodshedding on country music, so I was ready to ready to play. And um, you know, I, I got through it. There were obviously much better country musicians than I. And I remember like at one stage being up at the Gimpy Muster and I was playing with a few different people up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a, a very dedicated bluegrass band um, and they were amazing musicians. Uh, they invited me out on stage with them and I was so out of my depth. It wasn't funny because that's not the sort of music I found I could just wing. Um, yeah, right. And I, you know, they it's were, not I, like blues. No, well, blues, <laughs> blues, I mean, blues is, is, it's got its own stylistic, you know, elements and everything else. Yeah. But I guess with bluegrass, it was a style of music I've not listened to very much. And yeah, I, 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 you know, I very quickly knew I was well out of my depth. And the guitar, one of the guitar players was on stage was quite phenomenal as a bluegrass player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and th- that was okay. You know, it was a learning experience. Um, so yeah, well, well, I've, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've always tried to say yes to everything. There's only ever been a couple of things that I've said no to. Um, mm-hmm. I got asked to fill in for a, a death metal band one night. Um, death metal. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and, like, the guitars were tuned down to A, and I it's not a style I listen to. <laughs> and um, I think the guy that rang me and said, we really need a guitarist tonight, can you come and play with us? And I said, look, I'm not the guy for this. Um, you know, uh, apart from anything, I would have had to have quickly set up a guitar just for that style for the night because my guitars couldn't handle being tuned that low. Um, no. And then I'd have to get it reset for regular playing and whatever. So, you know, I, I passed on that. And there's, there's, there's been a couple of other things where I said, I'm not really the right person for this job. Um, but for the most part, I've just been willing to, to have a go at anything and just work really hard to, to try and, um, you know, be convincing, I guess. There are some things that well, I'm obviously much better at than others. Um, but well, I I think musician as a musician, if you don't push yourself to do something different or to excel yourself or learn something new, then you know you're really not 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 uh, helping yourself. Oh, that's really true as well. You know, and I encourage mm. every musician to to go and listen to as many different you know other musicians as possible. Um, yeah. I've, I've often talked with people that I've, I've given lessons to and I've said, who's your favourite guitarist? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then I've, we've talked about that and I said, well, and who, you know, and who was their favourite guitarist? So when I was a, a kid, um, I was about 12 or 13 when I first heard Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, oh, and I'd never oh, heard phenomenal. anything like that before. You know, I'd been, nah. I started playing guitar when I was quite young. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan was very different. When I was 12 or 13, starting to sort of, you know, find my own musical interests and everything, it was the 80s. And so mm-hmm. I liked bands like Midnight Oil or Hoodoo Gurus or whatever was popular 
And then I still yeah. actually like, especially midnight oil, but still, still really like that stuff too. But Steve Ray Vaughan was like, what, what's this? I've never heard anything like this. And so as, as a 12 year old or whatever I was, it completely blew my brain. Um, he was uh, once in a century. Oh, and then, of course, you've got Jeff Beck. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh. Very amazing. He was an amazing guitarist too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think with, with listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but my school used to get Guitar Player magazine in the school oh. library. <laughs> and so Someone I remember there must one have day we like... went into, you know, we, we had a library class and we went in and there was this magazine with Stevie Ray Vaughan on it. And I, so I read it, and then he was talking about other players like Clapton and Hendrix. And so I went off, and I, one of my, I've got two sisters. The older of the two had this Cream record, and oh. I'd never heard anything like that either. Um, so you know, I put it on at home and had a listen, and then I really liked what the guitarist was doing. I didn't even know it was Eric Clapton actually. Um, yeah. Now at the time, and then I found out it was Clapton and Steve Ray Vaughan had talked about him, and so you know, bit by bit, I started going, "Oh well, he likes this guy." And then I read some interviews with Eric Clapton, and he talked about you know the great blues musicians that had been really influential to him. And so, as I could, I started going back and looking at looking at them. It was it was hard to do in the eighties; much easier to do now because you can jump online and find yes. out anything in an afternoon about someone. Uh, mm-hmm. And going and listen to uh, all sorts of things, yes. but yeah, I um, for whatever reason the school library had that, and then um, yeah, I think it was um, you know, I grew up in Sydney's North. I used to sometimes jump on the train and go to Hornsby Library, and they actually had records with some of these things, so I'd go in and listen to the records. Oh, how lucky is that? Yeah, um, and That's I'd find really all lucky. these players, and so. For, for whatever reason, like I, yeah, I just became, I, I was very much exposed to a whole range of different people. Um, so, oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. No. So <clears throat> they were your influences, D.V. Ray Vaughan and, and Eric Clapton and, you know, all of those players. And, of course, they lead back to the blues. Yep. So would you say they were your earliest uh, musical influence or inspirations, or was there somebody before that? Uh, no, that it was actually kind of led you to music. The earliest hmm. memory I think I have of music, um, I think I would have been three or four years old, mm-hmm. and I remember being in my bedroom, and my mum was in my room with me playing with some toys, and she had a Cat Stevens record on. There was a, or there was a Cat Stevens song playing. I didn't know it was Cat Stevens at the time, but there was this thing that I could hear. And I asked my mother what that sound was, and she said, "That's a guitar." Oh. And it was like I, I love that sound. Yep. And so it was this, you know, acoustic guitar on a Cat Stevens record. I'm going, oh, that's 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 fantastic. Um. So then, you know, I used to very early on I started strumming the air um, and then I don't know if you remember that Beatles cartoon that you I on. do I do I was actually talking with someone about that yesterday that's so funny yeah yes, so yes I do my mum my mum was a massive Beatles fan as am I um, well <laughs> I love the Beatles too actually and my mum had actually been one of the screaming teenagers in Sydney at their concert Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, jump forward 
you know, several years later on Born and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and she was playing Beatles stuff around the house at times. And, you know, and then I remember there was that Beatles cartoon that used to be on. And I yeah. used to really like it. And I really liked Paul um, as a little kid. Yes. Uh, and he's still my favourite Beatle now. Um, yeah. But I didn't know. I, I thought Paul played guitar. Once I worked out what a guitar was, mm-hmm. I thought, well, Paul's playing guitar too. And I was convinced. I, I didn't know what a bass was when I was like five or six. Um, I just thought it was a guitar. And all guitars were, you know, like this thing I'd heard on the Cat Stevens record, which was an acoustic. I didn't right. know the difference. So I started really thinking, oh, I really like that sound, um, you know, and there's, there's Paul and Paul plays guitar, which obviously yes. he does, but he's, he's generally known as a bass player. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think probably, yeah, the first first memory I have of music is really Cat Stevens and then, um, yeah, the Beatles. Finding the Beatles, yeah. Very early age. At the same time, uh, on my mother's side of the family, um, there's 11 cousins and seven of us are professional musicians. Oh, good on you. Um, And so there was always music growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. So my grandfather, my mother's mother, uh, mother's father, sorry, uh, was (laughs) was an amazing pianist um, and played all sorts of things. And so I was exposed to a lot of music from him. Um, and then even like another really strong memory as a little boy was, uh, my late uncle Brian. Um, I remember being at his place once in the backyard. He was, I was looking, I was with my aunt and uncle for the day mm-hmm. and we were in the backyard and he had, um, he had, the, you know, a, a, um, an album playing, which was actually, um, I found out later on it was Willie Nelson and Willie Nelson had done a version of Georgia on my mind. Oh, yes. And yes, I remember as a little boy, my uncle singing Georgia on my mind. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I became obsessed with that song from seven or eight or something like that. I can't remember. I just remember hearing that and going, oh, I really like that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there were elements of, uh, you know, obviously rock and pop music, but then I got bits of blues and jazz coming through. Um, one of my other uncles was a mad Miles Davis fan. Oh, wow. Um, so I was hearing some of that also. And as I um, you know, started to become more and more obsessed with music, I guess, I started trying to listen to a lot of different things. And my father's not really, you know, father's not a big influence with music with me, but uh-huh. he... Um, he really liked Sky. I don't know if you remember them. Once again, it's a band when I was a little kid. Um, which was Sky. Sky, Sky was Hooks, Williams. I know, but not, not, Sky. not Sky Hooks. No, just Sky no, I was don't know um, John Williams, the classical <laughs> guitarist. Oh. Um, who is an incredible musician. Um, they were basically classical musicians who took things like Bach's Toccata and then played it with like a rock feel. Oh, wow. Uh, and John Williams, like John Williams as a classical guitarist, is uh, almost unmatched with his technique. Um, uh-huh. uh, he's actually an Australian Australian gentleman. Um, I think he's retired now. He'd be in his 80s, I think. Anyway, my father had a Sky record um, that 
I really liked too because it was I really liked the sound of the guitar, and then some of the the melodies and the the drummer I can't remember his name from the band, um, but uh, I just really liked the the beat under that. So I, I was exposed to a lot of different things, and I think you know now um, I really like a lot of different things too. A lot of people are quite surprised when they when they realise how eclectic my musical interests are, um, you know, and even going back to the Steve Ray Vaughan thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I heard about Clapton from Steve Ray Vaughan, but then, um, you know, a little bit later, I, I read another interview where Steve Ray Vaughan was talking about a guitarist named Kenny Burrell that he really liked. And Kenny Burrell's a wonderful jazz player. And from the, I think first appeared in the fifties. And so, yes. You know, I ended up somehow finding a Kenny Burrell record um, when I was a teenager and I played the thing to death and I absolutely love Kenny Burrell's playing. He's one of my favourite players, um, you know, which is quite different to what you normally hear Steve Ray Bourne play. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really a, a whole mixture um, of things. And, you know, I used to... I used to, you know, there's music all the time on television. Um, yeah. Well, there was. There was, you know, in the 80s, Donnie Sutherland. Yeah. There was, of course, um, Molly Meldrum, yeah. um, Bandstand, of course, American Bandstand. I think, was there an Australian Bandstand as well? I'm not too sure. I'm not so, sure. Yeah. I, don't, I can't ever remember watching Bandstand live. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not sure with that. I've only ever seen. Actually, I think. I, I, sorry, I think we did because I have a friend in Melbourne and she used to go to St Kilda and watch, I think it was Bandstand back then. Okay. So that would have been during the 80s. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, sure, I remember yeah. Donnie Sutherland um, when he had that show. Was it Saturday mornings I think it was on? Yeah, Sounds and, Unlimited. Yeah, and um, you know, that's where, you know, I think from that, that's where I, I probably, or maybe Hey Hey It's Saturday, but I think mm-hmm. it was Donnie Sutherland. Um, you know, another massive musical influence on me has been Tommy Emmanuel. And, oh, yes. Um, you know, <laughs> as a kid, I remember seeing Tommy on TV um, and, you know, me thinking, I want to be able to do that. Oh, I really love that. I want to do that. Um, oh, he's a master. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, my is. goodness. Um, but Donnie Sutherland had, or, you know, not just him, actually, there were a lot of shows that had all sorts of incredible musicians on that were not, rock and pop stars like i don't know if you've ever heard of john mclaughlin um but that's where i first oh, discovered not john, hand, no. john mclaughlin came to prominence first of all with the miles davis group okay uh in the late 60s and he, he was on a couple of really groundbreaking uh, jazz rock albums in the late 60s then he started a very famous jazz fusion group called mahavishnu orchestra where they fused jazz rock and indian music together Oh, that that sounds interesting. It's pretty really interesting. interesting. It's a bit out there, uh, and it, some of it mm-hmm. sounds very dated because it's very seventies uh, as well. But anyway, McLaughlin is an incredible guitarist, and um, yeah, one day you know he was on Donny Sutherland um, of wow. all things, and so like I was probably yeah twelve or thirteen, and suddenly there's John McLaughlin on TV, you know, at eleven o'clock on Saturday morning, um, you know, and then. Tommy was on Hey Hey so often with Phil as well, his brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there'd be all these other incredible musicians coming in and, uh, you know, just popping up on TV. And 
Um, you know, even, you know, as a kid, I used to listen to Triple M a fair bit. Um, Doug Mulray would actually play some really unusual choices um, because he was quite interested in blues and, and jazz, you know, blues and jazz rock sort of stuff. So uh, I don't yes. know if you're familiar with Robin Ford. He's another player I really love. Yes, um, yes, yes. Now, I first heard Robin Ford actually played on Triple M, of all things, which probably wouldn't happen now. Um, <laughs> probably not. No, but Doug Mulray, I remember, you know, waking up one morning and, before I went to school and Doug Murray was playing, you know, he used to play Steve Ray Vaughan and, and Robin Ford and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting um, because there was just so much music that you could listen to. Um, you know, and That's it, right. And, and how, how lucky were we? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. So that was your, they were your earliest influences, but when did you actually have a first guitar lesson or get your first guitar? Oh, well, I got my first guitar when I was six mm-hmm. and I had one lesson and didn't really like it. Um, was it a strumming lesson? I can't even really remember, to be honest. <laughs> um, do you know those Mel Bay books? Have you ever come across yeah. those? Yes. I remember getting a Mel Bay book and, uh, yeah. Anyway, I I used to I sort of had one lesson and it was probably just this is how you hold the guitar and wasn't yeah. particularly interesting. Um, we we moved. Um, I lived in Canberra for a little while as a kid because of my father's work, so we kind of moved between North Sydney and there and whatever else. So things things got broken up a little bit too. Um, you know, and it was the guitar was something that I was really interested in. But I had a lot, you know, as a kid, I, I liked a lot of different things. Um, yeah. And so when I was about 12, I got started getting a bit more serious about it once again and more interested in it. And I started playing it regularly. I wasn't particularly good. And I had a few more lessons. And by then, two other kids were starting to play. And, you know, we started our first garage band, which was, I used to think, sounded amazing. I, for years, I actually had a tape of uh, when a bunch of us were about 12 or 13. I was just going to say, please tell me you've got some um, sound from that. I don't, unfortunately. The tape was just uh, – I had the tape for years and it was destroyed um, <laughs> in a move and that might not be a bad thing. So, um, oh, look, no, I think it would be a good thing to have it because you can look back and say, look at the passion we had. We may not have been the best musicians but we had passion. Well, we did. We did and we used to really upset the neighbourhood. Um, you know, Saturday afternoon in this, there was one kid, his nickname was Nugget and he, he was the kid that got put on bass because he was the worst guitarist out of a lot of us. Oh, geez. So we used to play in Nugget's garage and it was pretty funny, um, cause we, we were truly terrible. But um, did you guys have a name? Did you call yourselves anything? I don't, I can't remember we had a name then. Um... Yeah, I really can't remember that that group of us having a name. Those kids in the neighbourhood, and probably, oh, yeah. I think more and more I was getting interested in the guitar, but it was, you know, it was it was competing with kicking the footy and the cricket bat and the surfboard and oh, of course, all that sort of, of stuff too. Actually, when I was fifteen, I broke my ankle playing footy, Ooh. and that was. Not a bad thing in retrospect. At the time, it was quite devastating. It was a really bad break. I was on crutches for months. Oh. 
and I couldn't do anything, so I played guitar um, all the time. There you go. Um, and that's where I really, yeah, I think, yeah, it would have been 15. And so even though I, I was, you know, playing a bit, it was just fun. I think when I broke, the, broke my ankle, and I, I think it was like four months or something before I could really do anything because it was such a bad break. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, it was hard for me to get around with crutches on the weekend. So I'd just play guitar for eight to ten hours, you know, on a Saturday and a Sunday. Or instead see, of, see, the universe had its own idea what it wanted you to do. Well, possibly, yeah, yeah. It wasn't football. No, no. So, or even, you know, I'd get home from school and get off, you know, get home from school when I was on crutches and I couldn't go out and hang out with the other kids in the neighbourhood and, you know, go out and mm-hmm. play cricket or whatever we'd do. Um, so, because I had to, you know, I was, couldn't couldn't really move that well, so I'd just go home and I'd, I ended up, I started playing the guitar, you know, for three or four hours at night, every night, and I'd play on the weekends. I'd just play the whole weekend over that time and... Then, um, you know, if I woke up early, sometimes I'd play guitar for a couple of hours before I went to school. So that's where wow. things really started to click, I guess, because I was I was playing so much. Now, what kind of things were you playing? Were you doing scales? Were you playing chords? Were you doing licks that you'd heard on an album? Or um, I think then, like, to be honest, when I was 15 or so, I was really... I love the Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff, but I wasn't really feeling confident with the idea of improvising Right at that point in time. Um, I started trying to experiment a little bit with it, um, but wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't really sure of what to do. And I, I spoke to a couple of older kids and didn't really get much advice from them on things. It was just, I just learned the scale, you know, which is a pentatonic scale and you just course, play it up yeah. and down and you'll be fine. And I said, yeah, it doesn't really sound like anything. Um, which didn't, and you know, in retrospect, their playing didn't really sound like much either. Um, they were just better <laughs> at playing the scale up and down. Probably when I was sort of 14 or 15, even though I was interested in electric guitar a little bit, I think it was really Tommy Emmanuel that really captured my imagination. Yes. Um, and so I started really getting into f- finger picking. I'd done, I'd had a few classical lessons. Um, and so I had an, a bit of an idea of, of what to do with my fingers, though there is a fair bit of difference between classical and finger soul guitar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started listening to Tommy Emmanuel. Uh, and because he was on TV so much, you know, I'd video something and then I'd, I'd get it and I'd try to work out what he was doing. Um, oh, my goodness. I've seen the way that man plays. <laughs> and it's surprising to me that the guitar didn't actually self-combust. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty good. He plays it hard. Oh, yeah, 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 he does. So, yeah, yeah. probably 15-year-old me really wanted to be Tommy Emmanuel. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. That really, it's good. Um, yeah, and that's so, what, oh, sorry, yeah. No, you're right, you're right. So that's that's what I, yeah, I was really interested in in, in Tommy and then, once again, the idea of, you know, finding influences. Um, Tommy, um, you know, Tommy led me to Chet Atkins. Oh, I, I love Chet Atkins. Oh, so do I. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I started, I just started listening for songs that had guitar in them. And, and you know, obviously in the 80s, there was lots of songs with guitar in it. 
Yes. And it was all sorts of things. And then once again, going back to my school library, for whatever reason, I had this book and a record called How to Play Blues Guitar. Oh, what a score. Yeah, and it was by a guy called Stefan Grossman. And Stefan is an American guitarist. Um, he's an acoustic player. And mm-hmm. he's look, he's a, he's a very decent player. I, I don't want to put him down as a player. He's a very decent player, but he's really a scholar more than a, a great guitarist, if that makes sense, in that. Yeah, it does. Yes. He, he grew Very up in, technical. Yeah, he grew, he grew up in New York and he met a very famous um, like ragtime and blues guitarist called the Reverend Gary Davis, who in, in the you know, history of the blues is, is pretty significant yeah, uh, as an acoustic player. And so Stefan, as a kid, met this guy and then started meeting all these other early blues musicians who had really, you know, I guess – been involved with the first recordings and, and and all that sort of thing. And so Stefan actually produced – and he, he's still going now um, – but he had produced this series of um, books on how to play, like, acoustic blues guitar and, um, you know, and all these different play, famous, you know, blues and ragtime players and everything else. And so, yeah, my school library, for whatever reason, had this – this book and he had a, had a record that came with it where he would actually demonstrate on the record how to play the, you know, the songs he transcribed in the book. So I started working. I remember I used to borrow that all the time, started working on that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a great influence. That's for sure. Well, that's, yeah, I love all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, probably, you know, I started to get interested in improvised music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a kid, um, you know, as like a 15-year-old or whatever. And I'd heard a fair bit from, you know, my uncles with with the jazz in, in, in interests and whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started um, started like, trying to work out, well, what's Steve Ray Vaughan doing here? How do I play a guitar solo like this? Um, and then from there, I started listening to more and more jazz as well and started getting quite interested in that. Yeah, um, jazz is the best. I love jazz and blues. Oh, it's wonderful. Just, yeah. Everything stems from that. All music stems from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it does for sure. So and, if you oh, – Sorry. If you had any advice for a budding young guitarist or an, uh, somebody who's older wanting to learn guitar, what would it be? I think um, make sure you have fun. Um, make your practice sessions fun. Be mm-hmm. be consistent with your practice. Realize that it doesn't. It will take some time, and whatever time or whatever time and effort you put into something is what you get back. So, Absolutely. You know, don't expect that uh, you'll be able to do something. Um, you know, immediately. Um, and some things do take a long time. Like, uh, you know, there's a number. You know, going back to Tommy Emmanuel. Um, the first song I worked out to play with him, I remember working on it for months and months and months and driving my sister insane because she could hear me in my bedroom. I worked <laughs> out how to play a bass line against a melody and the chords and oh, whatever oh, at the same time. Yeah. And it drove her nuts. Um, you know, and then I sort of got that and then I got another piece and started working on that. And so now I know sometimes people come up to me and, at gigs, you know, uh, other guitarists and things like that. And 
Uh, I know one one comment that's often been made when people watch me play is, oh, your fingers hardly seem to move and you make it look really easy. That must be easy <laughs> what you're doing. Um, and I said, well, look, some of it is, but some of it's actually quite complex. It's just that I've done it so much yes. that it's second nature. So like some of the Tommy stuff and, and, and like I, I've, I've done a lot of, played a lot of improvised music now. So, um, you know, some of that stuff is, is almost second nature. And obviously I'm always improving, but you know, there's, there's been a cost with that, which people don't always see, um, which is yes. the amount of time I put in the, into it. Uh, and probably another thing is, you know, make sure you're relaxed when you play. A lot of people try to fight the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, they think they have to press really hard to get strings or they grip the pick very tightly. Um, being relaxed is really important. Um, yes, that's good advice. Yeah. That's really good advice, actually. So when did you get your first start with playing as a musician proper? Um. When I was 17, if, if we're talking the first paid gig. Yes, first paid gig, yes. First, first paid gig would have been 17. Um, cool. Yeah, at a cafe. Um, yeah, I was atrociously bad. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I was very shy as a kid as well. Um, right. For a whole bunch of reasons, which we don't need to go into now, but I, I was very shy. When I was a kid. So, so when you were bad, what makes you think that you were bad? Oh, like, why? Look, I guess... Apart from, like, shyness, I get that. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure to other people there, they were like, man, look at this kid getting up here and having a go. There was probably... Look, I guess with that, um, I'm just trying to think of how I want to put this. I come from a family... I don't... Look, I... To be honest, I don't have a great relationship with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very negative man and rubbishes everything that he can. Uh, and so I never so had any – I was never encouraged to be anything and it was always, you'll be no good at this. And so I took a lot of that on board. Right. So, um, so, so kind of stopping you in your tracks before you get going. But you know what? Yeah. You had some internal compass that said, no, this is me and I'm going to do it. Well, no I think that's, that's true, actually. For whatever reason, I decided this is what I really wanted to do. And look, this all came to a head a few years after that where um, I was actually at uni studying arts law because that's what my father wanted me to do, be a lawyer. Okay. And I really – it wasn't my thing at all. And, uh, you know, music was more and more important to me and – by the time I was at uni, even though I was studying that, the guitar was in my hands all the time. Um, and I was playing in bands and and doing and even doing a little bit of teaching and things like that. And I never felt that I was good enough to um, to do right, more than that. I get it. You're right. And, right. I, you know, a lot of it had to do with the way I'd been raised, with being told. My mother's not the most encouraging person either, to be honest. It's always, well, you're not going to be good at that, so... You know, or this is a bit of that's nice. You've had a bit of a play, put it away. Um, you know, because you're never going to be any right. Great. They um, just didn't get it. No, they no, just they didn't, didn't get having passion. So when I was at uni, um, you know, I and I the guitar was massive part of my life, or music was. Mm-hmm. And there were people I knew that were studying music and everything, and they were going, "Why? Why don't you just go and study music? That's obviously what you want to do." 
Um, and uh, anyway, I was like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I met someone, started getting lessons with them. Um, you know, and they were teaching at uni and they said, why don't you go and do a music degree? That's obviously what you want to do. And I said, oh, no, no, that's not for me. I'm not good enough. Mm. And um, eventually I thought, actually, this is really what I want to do. I want to be as good as I possibly can be on this thing. For, no matter what that, you know, I don't know where that's going to lead me. I wasn't really thinking that far at the time. Yeah. But I, um, anyway, I talked to this guy I was getting lessons from and he said, um, well, look, you know, there's a, there's a scholarship program. You could think about applying for that. Um, you know, I can, I can recommend you for that. I really think you'd be, it'd be great for you to go and do this. Um, anyway, so I thought a lot about it and decided that I'd just finish the, that end of year, uni that year and I'd go and study music. And uh, that didn't go down well with my father. I told him first. Probably not. No, he slammed the phone down on me and didn't talk to me for a long time after that. But did you finish that year out and then go and study music? Yeah, I did. I did. Good on you. And Good um, on you. you know, a lot of there was a lot of opposition from people. Um, you know, I think that when you say you're going to go into a creative field and you're possibly thinking about making it a career. And as I said, at that stage, I was so uncertain with a lot of things, you know, Mm -hmm. as as a 20 or 21 year old, really with what do I do with music? Um, You know, and I I was quite shy because of my upbringing and, and and everything. So I think more and more people started going, actually, you're you're pretty good at this. Um, But I still had so much, I guess, baggage that I was carrying. Doubting yourself. yeah. 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 So, uh, anyway, once I just went, no, nah, stop it. I'm going to do this. And so Good I did. You. I'm glad you did. Well, thank you. And, um, yeah, yeah sometimes it's funny when, um, you know, talk to people that knew me as a kid and mm-hmm. some people were quite, you know, like some people were quite encouraging when I was little and going, oh, you think, you know, like this is great. You're into it, into it. But I, I think it's funny, um, you know, with some of the things I've achieved since, um, yes. and I've made a living out of it, um, which is a, a great thing anyway. Um, but absolutely, you know, it is. Yeah, you know, it's suddenly just... I went from being that shy, awkward kid, and I can still be shy and awkward at times. I know that, but you know, like I guess some of the things I've done, um, you know, like there was, you know, I was, I was a runner-up in the Australian Guitarist of the Year competition at one stage, or. Uh, wow. There was the um, – there used to be the Frankston International Guitar Festival in Melbourne or just in outside. Melbourne, yes. And they used to have the National Finger to- Finger Picking Championships and I was a runner-up in that once. Um, wow. And, you know, and I've, I've – yeah, I remember, like, you know, one day um, I got a phone call and the other voice, the voice on the end of the phone said, oh, hello, uh, is this Scott? And when you heard it is, and he said, oh, this is Phil Emanuel. <gasps> and I was like, no, it's not. I wanted to say, piss off who's this, but I didn't. Um, but it was. It was Phil. And he was like, wow. look, mate, I've, I've got a copy of your album. I'd recorded an EP. Oh, that's so cool. How old were you when you did that? Oh, I was in my 20s, um, maybe 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recorded this EP with five songs and an agent that um, I really should should mention her, actually, um, Narelle Brown, who ran the JV's Entertainment Agency, and she was 
based on the south coast of New South Wales, but she had, at, when I first met her, she was booking gigs all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, Narelle sadly passed away earlier this year. And oh. I was actually, at her request, I was actually the MC at the funeral. Um, mm-hmm. She was an amazing friend and mentor to me. Um, and I, I, she, she, you know, she got me a lot of work and really supported me a lot with, uh, you know, with who I was and what I wanted to do musically. Um, but yeah, she, um, she'd organised some gigs for Phil with a tour through New South Wales. And when she was at one of his shows, she said, listen to this CD. I think you'll like it. So she gave him my CD. So he rang me. Oh. Um, cause he wanted to tell me that he liked it and could we, could we play together? Um, oh no way. Yeah. Um, which was quite, oh, that's so cool. Which was great, you know, and look, unfortunately that time it didn't work out. Um, because yeah. I was booked with shows that were going into state and I couldn't, couldn't line up with him, but Phil really, yeah, Phil was really, um, a good friend for a while mm-hmm. uh, and always encouraging me to keep playing. So. You know, things like that, I think, uh, and there's other stuff as well, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I think I, I sometimes look back and go, I've done all these things that people said I could never do. That's right. And it, and on some level, it's got to be quite satisfying for yourself that, hey, I've done this. It is. And I think the more, I guess, look, I guess the older I go and the further I get away from some of those things, the more it means to me as well. Yeah, that makes definitely. sense. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, my watch is talking now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you so your your first like act was on your own? Like, was yeah, it doing a solo I was doing, thing? Was um, it in the? Yeah, you know, I, I was really interested in finger soul guitar, as I mentioned before. Then and right, um, I wanted to. I was really liked sort of that early blues acoustic blues stuff or. Mm-hmm. Um, for, I don't, once again, he's another guy that really, you know, not my generation, but, for, and I don't know how I discovered him, but I loved Bob Dylan's folk stuff. Oh, I love Bob Dylan. Oh, I love Bob Dylan. I think he's wonderful. I have no idea how I got into Bob Dylan, um, but I did. In- you know what I could never work out about Bob Dylan is how he could remember 500 verses of a song. <laughs> <laughs> or did he make them up along the, as he went? I wonder. I don't know. I would love to talk to him and find out. I don't know with that. Um, he was convinced he was going to die as a, you know, a young man. And oh. so the, the idea behind Hard Rain, from what I understand, is that he wrote the first line of every song he thought he'd never get to write. And that's what it's about. Yeah, it's amazing. Interesting. A really interesting process too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So apparently that, you know, he, he typed it up and then he um, – I've heard other, you know, folk musicians that were around him in the early 60s in New York saying, you know, he'd be in his apartment and then he'd come down with these lyrics and he would they'd be all typed up and then he'd perform it and try the song and then – you know, he'd go away and perhaps edit a little bit or, or add another um, verse. You know, drop it. <laughs> add first or, I mean, some of the songs have got several verses. Definitely several. Um, yeah, you know, I think the pinnacle of that, do you know Sad Eyed Lady at the Lonely? Yes, I have heard it, yes. Yeah, that's the whole of one side of an, <laughs> yeah. L, an LP, <laughs> um, which I 
17 minutes oh or something God, like that. That's hilarious, isn't it, really? Oh, it is. You know, and some of those songs I quite like, like um, Desolation Row, I think it's about 12 minutes. Yeah, it's that's incredible that you can keep a song going for that amount of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. very much so. So can you tell me a funny story from any gig at any time so far in your life, you know, where, where it's just struck you at that moment, oh, my God, this is just... This is a keeper. I'll remember this, this moment. Oh, this, this, there's so many actually. Um, there's, there's, you know, been been disasters that have that I've been involved with, or this. I, I guess, I guess one thing, um, you know, for musicians, and some of this can be quite funny and also quite infuriating. <laughs> um, but. You have to learn to deal with all manner of people. Oh yes, you know, and and so um, there are people that are very very opinionated on mm-hmm. music, and especially if they had a few drinks, you know, they might not, uh, you know, they might really not know what they're talking about. But they've got to tell you, you know. <laughs> oh, I find that especially in Australia, when I've worked in in the US or in Asia, it's been very yeah. very different. Um, I've never played in the. Having said that, you know, when I when I played in America, it's been like LA and across the the top part mm-hmm. of the country. I've not played in any of the redneck bars down south, so maybe they're a little bit closer to some of our pubs <laughs> in Australia. I'm not sure. I think we're probably um, rowdier. But um, you know, like sometimes you know, I've pulled up at places and I've had people that have been quite drunk wanting to yell at me even when we're in the car park. Um. You know, and so I've, I've had, uh, you know, people like the punters. I remember one night this guy came up to me and was just like staring at me. And um, he said, you know, jazz is a mixture of jazz and music <laughs> and just walked off. And, and I was like, I was laughing. I was like, what's he trying to, you know, he's trying to be profound. <laughs> I'm sure it sounded um, but profound I just, to him. It did, you know, or... Um, <laughs> You know, I've heard a few things. Another guy one night was came up to me and, um, you know, was was trying to sound educated yep. um, with the way he was talking. But then he, he started talking to me about John Lennon. Okay. Um, and he just he started saying that, you know, John Lennon was in the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and, and I said, I was, you know, trying to be polite. <clears throat> um, but going, no, he was. John Lennon wasn't in the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones, and he just couldn't accept that it wasn't. So I found, you know, like you get those sorts of people at gigs that are really adamant that they know something. Oh yeah. Uh, and then, and some of them are quite passionate about what they're saying. Like I find song requests, you know, where um, you get a request from someone and it makes no sense whatsoever, but in their mind they they're convinced they're <laughs> oh, right. Yes. So I, I used to have a jazz band, and there's actually there's two stories I'll, I'll go with on this. Um, but we were playing at a function one night, um, and a guy came up and he wanted to hear the song Tickets to Hungry. <laughs> okay. And he was just telling me over and over, play Tickets to Hungry, plays Tickets to Hungry. And it was really hard because I was actually trying to play. We were meant to be playing over dinner, and this guy's trying to talk to me while we're trying to play. And that's so hard. <laughs> you can't. Oh, I find it, I find yeah. it really hard um, to do that. You know, some things it's all right, I can do it, but other things I can't. Um, 
And uh, anyway, this guy was going at me about tickets to Hungary. And that went on for a little while. And then someone sort of managed to shuffle him along from, from on stage. So then he came up to me in, in one of the breaks um, while speeches were being made and said, oh, I want this Tickets to Hungary song. And I said, I've, I've got no idea what the song is. I've never heard of Tickets to Hungary. Oh, my goodness. And he said, oh, you know, you know how it goes. And he started humming the tune. And the song was actually The Lady is a Tramp. And the first line of it is, she's always hungry because dinner's at eight or something like that. So anyway, I, I had no idea what you know Tickets to Hungry was, but that's what he was after. Oh See, I probably would have um, thought he wanted Ticket to Ride. Oh, that's possible too. Like, you know, I've had some of those things mm. or – with that same band, um, we were booked once to play at a at a club, uh, bowling club. Wanted to have you know Sunday Sunday jazz over lunch, and I've played some pretty you know, pretty modern slash weird mm-hmm. jazz, um, where it's very you know it's it's a bit out there for the average person. I get that, um, and a band. Well, actually, the, these guys that I used to play that played with them, we used to often play that sort of stuff that you'd hear in a jazz mm-hmm. club. And that was great. But we knew for Sunday at a bowling club, we're not going to be playing something that's, you know, bordering on experimental. Um, and so we used to book a singer. that um, was very much in the style of Tony Bennett. And we picked all sort of, you know, jazz tunes that people would know um, or, mm-hmm. or should know. Um, so we were doing songs like Fly Me to the Moon and things like that. Um all, all the standards that, that are quite well known. So, you know, like, and it was the sort of gig where really Tony Bennett or, or Frank Sinatra could have just sat in if they wanted to because we were doing all this sort of stuff. We played two sets and um, the the manager, general manager came to me and said, you haven't played any jazz yet. <laughs> and and I was like trying to be polite because he was the manager and he was going to be paying, you know, you. paying us afterwards and everything. And I said, oh, perhaps you could just help me with, with what you're thinking. And he said, well, uh, you know, how about you play Mustang Sally? And I went, oh, well, that's, you know, that's kind of African-American music, <laughs> at least originally. So, okay, we, we could do that. And he said, and, uh, you know, play, play April Sun in Cuba. Oh, dear. And Were you shaking your head at this I was, point? I was still trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> I would have been no good at that. But... <laughs> Um, I'm not always the best, but I was like, oh, okay, okay, cool. Um, yeah. Um, oh, dear. You know, well, so anyway, um, I can say that in the, fir- the the final set, it's the first time I've ever heard an extended trombone solo through episode of Cuba. <laughs> um, and probably the only time I ever want to hear that. We were killing ourselves laughing as we were oh, playing but it. you know what? He probably um, thought... That's what I wanted to hear. Well, it was. And then Narelle, um, the agent I mentioned just before who yes. passed away, anyway, I was talking to her a few days later because she rang me and said, I've just got the job report back. Um, you know, and I said, oh, what's it say? And she said, he said they didn't play any jazz until I suggested <laughs> they play it for Southern Cuba. <clears throat> and, um, you know, oh, that was – so that we didn't play any jazz till the third set when oh we did my that. God. And so we, I mean, we never played at that club again in, in that act. Oh, no. But, uh, 
the the way to it's, it's the really way, this is so funny. The way to play a jazz gig is play jazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh dear, that is funny. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it is, you know, and there's, there's been all sorts of other things too. I don't think people realise, as a musician, I guess with that, you've, you've got to learn to be tactful. And I, I start giggling sometimes. I'm really bad oh, me with that. too. <laughs> um, so, you know, some of those sorts of things, I'll, I'll start giggling and I, I really can't stop. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite terrible. And so some of those sorts of uh you know requests or comments I'll, I'll just sometimes shake my head or or whatever i'm not not always so good at hiding it but those times yeah. i did um yeah but i think also people don't realize if you're on stage and you're a little bit higher than everyone else you can see what's yes. going on and so i've seen some really interesting oh. things um <laughs> you know on stage one night i absolutely lost it because um, used to have a residency at a pub with a few mates. We had a, a small band and we used to play there, you know, a couple of times a month on a Friday. And anyway, one night we're up playing and the stage wasn't that much higher than everyone else, but just enough so we could see what was going on. We're playing. And uh, anyway, I, I just, I got the giggles because this guy started unbuttoning this woman's blouse on the dance floor. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is a bit, you know, he's, interesting. he's a bit yeah. risky. Um, and then, you know, I, I was like trying to get the, the guy who was singing. I was trying to like nod at him, go, look at that. This, I can't believe this. And, um, you know, anyway, he, anyway, the next thing his hand disappeared inside a blouse and he, he obviously reached into a bra and she patted herself out with tea towels because <laughs> he put me out. <laughs> And I was just, I lost it, to be honest. I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> That's a classic. And I just, like, just like that. I mean, it's, that's, that's pretty that funny. Is, it's, that it's is stuff. classic. That is classic. Yeah. People are, um, yeah, it's very People funny. funny. <laughs> oh, very much so. So just for the listeners, what instruments do yep. you play? Do you play only guitar or do you play all different? all different kind of instruments? Uh, look, most of the time now I, I play guitar, but I, I, I'm, if this means anything, I, I play quite a different, quite a few different styles mm-hmm. of guitar. Um, so, um, yeah, like I'll... I'll yeah. So acoustic well, guitar, uh, electric guitar, bass guitar? Yeah, I play bass and I, I, I used to play slide a lot um, as slide. well. Oh, it's great. So uh, I, I've done a lot of um, – I've actually been booked to play on a lot of people's albums playing wow, slide. cool. Um, it's one of those things too. Not a lot of people play slide, I find. Um, so it, it's it's quite good fun. Um, I play harmonica a little bit. I'm not great, but, you know, it's, it's just a different texture. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, I used to play saxophone a oh, lot. cool. But I haven't played saxophone for some time, um, and it was one of those things where I, I love it. It was just, you know, I guess I was so busy being a guitarist that I didn't that the other instruments I was playing dropped off. So you know, I've, I've 
I can play drums a bit, or I used to. I haven't played a drum kit for a long time, mm-hmm. to be honest. I haven't been behind a drum kit for a while, but used to used to play drums well enough to at least play in a band. Um, on that, or I've played. I used to play cajon. Um, if you're familiar with those, the percussion no. instrument. Um, you, it's actually a. Um, they're actually from Peru. You sit on it. You've probably, probably seen them. Probably. It's like a drum that you. It's like a box that you sit on. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I used to play cajon with a few different acts, which is like like being a drummer, but yeah, it's it's like sitting on a okay. box. Um. Yeah, I've I've played trumpet a bit as well, a little bit of keyboards. Um. So I think most of the time with that, like some some things I was good enough at to play on stage. Um. But a lot of the time I've used those things when I've when I've been doing studio work and if I've needed to play other instruments, I've played them myself. Oh, that's really cool. Um, because the advantage, yeah, having, the advantage of having like my own studio especially, at one stage I had a very good studio set up uh, and I was doing a lot of studio work. But, you know, I'm not, not a great keyboard player by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I could make a mistake and start again um, yeah. on that. So I'd get the guitar parts down and whatever, and you know, I, I, depending on what it was, you know, I was reasonable on the drums, not fantastic, but I was good enough for something. Oh yeah, so I'd get the drum parts down or whatever, and then you know, like keyboard parts, depending on what the keyboard parts were, yeah. I might have to have several goes, or um, you know, and there, there were times I guess when I was doing that stuff too, where I might actually notate how notate out the keyboard part, and then I'd get an actual pianist to come and play it. If I could, if it was too hard for me, I could hear yeah, it in my head. I couldn't do it. But didn't have the technique. So, but yeah, primarily a guitar player really. And then, uh, look, I pushed myself into singing. I'm not, I don't really see myself as a singer in a lot of ways. I was just going to ask that, um, do you sing? Um, well, I do a number of solo gigs and, yeah, I just pick songs that work for me vocally. Um, once again, you know, going back to being shy I really did want to sing more when I was yeah. a kid, and I used to sing early on with our, you know, our first garage bands and everything, and it was atrocious, I'm sure, but I didn't care at the time for whatever reason. At that point in time, I didn't didn't care. And then when I got really self conscious about my voice, uh, I don't know if anything in particular triggered that, but um, I, you know, I didn't sing for a long time, and I'd feel very embarrassed. Uh, to do so. And then um, I guess, look, as a guitarist at one stage, I was I was good enough to actually get instrumental gigs around the place. Well, there you go. Um, so I used to play at a lot of clubs and some pubs around Greater Sydney area for a start, but sometimes further than that too, uh, almost doing like a Tommy Emanuel type yeah. show. Um, and clubs were happy for me to play just instrumental music at one stage um you know or and then i was working for lots of different people so i kind of didn't need to sing and then you know times changed and that became less and less uh you know desirable and there were fewer opportunities and you know jazz clubs were and or music clubs weren't as prevalent i guess so um i started finding it harder and harder to get the work that i once had so um, one day I went, oh, I better, I just have to get over this. I'm going to have to sing. Um, and I did a, did a gig. Um, I remember in, in Goulburn 
Um, and uh, actually, once again, Narelle, who yes. I mentioned before, uh, rang me one day and said, "Look, I've got a got a gig coming up, um, you know, on a Sunday afternoon at this club in Goulburn. If you're happy to drive it, drive down there." Um, they're happy for you to do whatever you want. So she said, you can just do all your instrumental, you know, acoustic instrumental stuff. That's, that's, they'd love it. They're fine with that. And I went, oh, thank you. And she said, you know, would you like to do that? I said, would they be okay if I sang? And she went, you can do whatever you like. They're, they're really not fast. They just want music. And I've, I've, you know, they've, they've seen you and said, yeah, we're very happy to give you the job. Uh, and they are happy for you to, you know, to do that. But if you want to sing some stuff, that's great. And at that stage, I really hadn't sung very much, um, you know, by myself. I'd, I'd had to sing in a few bands I was in. Um, there was just no choice. So I'd just pick a, pick a part and, you know, sing harmonies in the chorus or whatever. I wasn't really singing lead on anything. Anyway, I went and did this gig and well, I was a bit nervous, but I just thought, oh, basically stuff it. I'll just, just, let's just have a go. Give it a go. And anyway, um, a lot of people really liked what I did. And I was speaking to Narelle afterwards. She actually rang me when I was driving back to Sydney after the, the thing. And she said, what did you do? And I said, the only, um, you know, I said, I only played two instrumental pieces and I sang everything else. And she said, well, they've given me another five dates they want you to come back for. Which was great. So, yeah, I do. Um, you know, I do a lot of um, vocal gigs now, mm-hmm. and I'm still. You know, I. Some people really like my voice. Other people probably find it quite boring. I'm okay with that. Um, I guess what I do is put a lot of, especially finger picking stuff around my voice when I'm singing. Okay, that's clever. But I can add a lot of colour in with that while I'm playing that sort of thing. So. Um, you know, people hear the whole sound and I, 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 my voice is quite, quite warm. I do know that. Yeah. And a lot of people think it's got a nice tone. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm particularly expressive or anything like that as a singer. Um, I just, I just find so And once again, you know, I just find songs. I think, yeah, I'd be comfortable singing that. And that as a vocalist, uh, that's what you have to do is choose songs that are in your range that you're comfortable with. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I've had a few people request you know that i do uh you know songs that are more like bordering on screaming you know like some of the jimmy barnes stuff and things like that right and sometimes i've i've if i've had those requests at a gig i've sometimes gone okay well i could do this sort of version with Mm -hmm. it and you know i I find that to be honest a lot of people are happy whether you're great at it or not if they request a song and you do it, they're kind of happy. Um, I'm not always happy with myself with that, but I get away with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, so, yeah, so I, I sing quite regularly and, uh, you know, I often do a, a gig or two a week by myself. Yeah, I, I see that on Facebook. So now speaking of that, what what do you do yep. currently? What is your thing that you do currently? So you do some solo gigs currently. Yep. And what else do you do? Doing- so yeah, um, I've got I play in the uh, the Miss B duo mm-hmm. with Bianca Terami, um, and then we also have a band. And so with Bianca and I, we we do a range of things. Um, so we we do uh, you know straight acoustic stuff. We've recently started using uh, a loop station and percussion to set that. up loop, which has been great fun actually. Um, 
yeah, it was something I'd, I'd kind of not really thought about doing it. And then I was speaking to an agent and she said, this stuff's really popular at the moment. A lot of venues want this. Mm. And so we'd actually, we were at a pub watching someone else play and they had this, um, I wasn't sure what it was uh, at the time. So I took a photo and asked on Facebook and someone identified it for me. It's called a Roland Hand Sonic, which is a, a Roland um, you know, digital percussion pad that you play with your hands. Yes, right. Yeah. You can pull up all sorts of drum drum sounds and everything. So we were talking about it and going, oh, this guy's got a pretty good sound. And we found one actually really cheaply on Facebook. Um, someone was selling one. So oh. we bought that. And then I looked into different loop stations and I bought bought one and kind of didn't really want to spend the money, but it's been really good um, in doing that. So, um, yeah, started doing that. And then um, also, you know, doing doing stuff with backing tracks, which I'd started doing stuff with backing tracks years ago mm-hmm. um, because you know, this is going back to my 20s, I guess. Um, I realised that playing in a band is great fun. Yeah. But you're then splitting the money – Five ways. Four, five, <laughs> six ways, depending on the band and the sound guy and everything else. Yes. And more and more there were venues that were – they wanted that sound, but they didn't want to pay, or they had issues with neighbours and things like that. So you couldn't really have a you know an acoustic drum kit in some of the pubs I used to play in regularly. Yeah. Because the police had been you know in there and they'd be getting shut down quickly. So – once again, I guess because I'm quite pragmatic, I started thinking about what can I do to make money, and so I started, you know, looking at opportunities for using backing tracks, and so I, I did that. And I guess without, and this is very much me, I've always been quite fussy with that. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I don't want to sound like those awful acts that use just cheap MIDI files, right? Yes, um, which some people do. So early on. And because I, I guess I, I was starting to do studio work in my 20s for different people, and I was quite interested in that. So early on, when I started thinking, oh, well, maybe backing tracks are a you know, way to go, I started recording my own backing tracks um, you know, where I'd play, yeah. lay, lay, the, lay the guitars down, and then I might do, you know, the guitars and bass would be fine, and then I'd, I'd you know, put the drum tracks together in a few different ways and try to make them sound as good as possible because I could play, um, you know, could play saxophone reasonably well and I played a bit of trumpet. There were horn parts on it. I actually played the horn parts myself. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I, you know, early on I used to get accused of miming to a CD with those things because they were real instruments rather than the MIDI sounds. Right. Um, people were playing, um, you know, and so I've, I've always done that because I've just tried to be fairly pragmatic with that. So, yeah, between Bianca and I, we do uh, yeah straight acoustic things, or we do stuff with um, you know we, we well now we're using the the loop station and the hand percussion thing, and I'm building loops on the fly as we go, which is great fun. Mm-hmm. Or we use tracks. Um, the other thing that I guess we do with that is we have a, a, a disco soul funk band. Right. Oh, that's cool. Which is great fun. So we're we're doing um, like that's more of a show. So. We're doing things like the BGS and um, Donna Summer and you know, stuff from the disco era up to probably the early nineties, with the sort of up, the neo soul sort of stuff and some of the dance tracks from then. Oh, cool! Uh, now, which is a lot of fun, and so that's really 
Uh, it's really a five-piece band um, at its core. I would love to add horns in, but that becomes very difficult to add, add a whole horn section in uh, and pay everyone for a start. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then we've had a few gigs recently where with, with that show, um, yeah, there's just not the space. Um, you know, I think a lot of clubs um, – a lot of clubs these days just don't have the space that they used to. A lot of, lot of I found a lot of venues have gotten rid of stages that they might have had before COVID. Oh my goodness, the stage that we performed on the other week—they <laughs> yeah. call that a stage. I just looked at it and went, "I am not getting up there." <laughs> was that um, without giving away the name of the venue? Was that in Parramatta? It was. <laughs> Because I saw that we're actually playing at that same venue in a couple of weeks, I think. Oh, well, I would just just to advise you, if you've got a mixing desk, make sure you tie it down because I nearly, right. I nearly yes. lost mine. <laughs> we had another venue. Oh, it's um, hilarious. Or the square of carpet and they say, oh, there, there you go. That's oh, where yeah. you band. <laughs> oh, I remember once I was um, – oh, was booked to play at uh, at a wedding. I played for the service and then played for the reception. Mm-hmm. And it was at a winery down on the south coast. Anyway, the, the service was fine. But then when it came to play at the reception, I had to relocate a couple of hundred metres away. Still on the same property, but they had a big marquee and um, everything that they, they'd set up for the day. And it was all quite lovely. And then there was a chair sitting on the septic tank that was nearby. <laughs> And that was, they wanted me to sit on the septic tank to play. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I said, mm, do I have to sit here? And they go, well, but, you know, we, we, we put it there because we thought it'd be a good spot. So anyway, I convinced them that I could move. Oh, um, dear. <laughs> but, yeah, sometimes people don't really have they don't get much it. of a clue. <clears throat> they they, don't don't, they either don't care or they don't get it. So, yeah, I know that stage um, that you're talking about, there's, a pub in the Sutherland Shire that has a stage about the same size. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had lights um, that were up on a, you know, on a lighting tree and that was pretty hard to try and work around with everything. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting, it's, you know, just yes, dealing interesting. with people with that because um, I've got no idea. No. Um, yeah. No, you just look at it sometimes and go, oh, you've got to be joking. You really have to be joking. Yeah, and I think that's where, um, you know, look, I, I just try to try to just let things go. Yeah, yeah, Sometimes, yeah. sometimes things do, do, do get out of my skin, I guess. Oh, look, it, it doesn't but, bother me. I just have a laugh at it and go, I'm here for a few hours. Yeah, I, I just generally go with it and go, yeah, sure, that's fine. We'll just do that, whatever you want. Like, you know, and I, once again, I just try to be pragmatic with those things and go, it's not worth getting upset about. No. Or I think there's sometimes where things that I've, I guess I've, I've found some things, you know, worth having a, a you know, speaking up about. Mm. Um, you know, like. Oh, TV screens that you put in front of to play in a club or a pub and they've got the footy on while you're playing and the volume's up. And, like, I remember once playing on the far south coast and they had 
they they made us wait for two hours before we could start because they wanted to have the footy on instead. Okay. And then when we we were able to finally start, there was a massive screen above us and they kept the volume up and they were playing a replay of a game from the early 80s. Oh, my goodness. And they kept the volume up and and we were being asked to turn down because people were trying to watch the game (laughs) from, you know, like 1982 or whatever it was. And I was... Must have been a good game is all I can say. Oh, well, it must have been. Must have been. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, you know, so for the most part, I try to just go, yeah, sure, look, I, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I'll just go with it. But sometimes I do get a bit frustrated. And I find sometimes I probably – some some people can be quite rude, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, and some staff can be quite rude um, and not get it. And so I remember once setting up – trying to set up at another club and – Football was on and we were meant to start at 8.30, but the game was finishing at 8.30, so the club club director didn't want us setting up um, you know, while the game was on because he was watching it and we were in his way because we were meant to be playing in front of the TV. Of course, yeah. But at the same time, he also said, you better be ready to go at 8.30 when we're expecting you. <laughs> and and I was like, well, we'll be as quickly quick as we can, but I can't guarantee that we're going to be ready at 8.30 if we're not allowed to start setting up till 8.30. Oh, dear. Oh so, dear. yeah, something like that. And, and he was a bit bit rude yeah. um, about that. So, anyway. anyway. Yes. So, what's yeah, the well, best live act you've ever seen? Best live act? Yeah. Or oh. best show you or show you've ever seen? You know, like uh, Tommy Emmanuel at the Opera House not long ago. That was one of my favourites. Yep. yep. Um, look, I really loved that. Um, that was a great show, and part of it as well. I'm my mate Anthony Snape opened for him. He absolutely did. Yeah, and I really like Anthony a lot. Um, so that was really exciting to see him. I know he's played with Tommy before in America and stuff like that as well. But uh, Tommy, Tommy has been you know someone that I've idolised since I was a kid. Uh, and I've learned so much from and everything else. So seeing him, I hadn't seen Tommy play for a few years live. Um, but then, yeah, I think it was extra special because Anthony opened, um, who's, yeah, I really like Anthony a lot as a person. He's, uh, and he's a great He's lovely. Too. And he's, he's sa- he sang, excuse me, um, yep. Burn For You. And my goodness, if you closed your eyes, you would have thought it was John Farnham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were. Um, I was sitting right in front of Tommy in the first row. Oh, we were actually just a little bit on along from you then. You were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was great. I think saw Midnight Oil twice last year on their farewell tour. Okay. Um, and saw them at Homebush, which was their last official Sydney gig at that time. Mm-hmm. And it went on for a very long time. Um, and it was fantastic. You know, they they were just on fire. Um, and they had a fantastic uh, Aboriginal band called King Stingray opening for them. Okay. And they were, they were terrific. So that's that's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Wow. Um, I think as well, um, oh, I don't know, actually. It's like, yeah, love that. I remember seeing Eric Clapton once with an incredible band. He's always got incredible musicians with him. Mm-hmm. 
but even though I love Eric, he's really all the. I don't always like his commercial, the commercial side of Eric Clapton. Okay. Um, I like the Guitar Hero side of Eric Clapton, um, which doesn't always, you know, doesn't get picked up by by commercial radio and everything else necessarily. Um, but I saw Clapton at the Entertainment Centre before they just before they pulled it down. Oh, okay. And his band was phenomenal, and I knew the band he had with him that night. They were there to really, really play. So. He did a lot of stuff from Cream, and then they did a lot of early blues. Oh, um, what, a, what a treat. And so they were just really on fire. And he really, I guess he really became Eric Clapton, the guitar god. Yes. Not, not, you know, not the guy that sings Tears in Heaven. Yes. Um, actually, that was funny. When we were leaving, I was there with a guy I used to work with, um, singer, and as we were leaving, this woman that was sitting next to me started going, what was all that guitar playing rubbish? I didn't know Eric Clapton played guitar. <laughs> um, you know, what was that? I, I wanted to hear Tears in Heaven and and um, Wonderful Tonight because he didn't do any of that stuff. He came out and just went, Ripped I'm Eric up. Clapton guitar player, here I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and really just went for it. And um, so all of that stuff was just not on that night. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, what a treat! What an absolute treat! Yeah. So that was that's another great show. Um, they're probably they're probably some of the best. Another night, um, a play you possibly haven't heard of is a guy called Mike Stern. No, I don't know. Mike Stern is a phenomenal jazz guitarist. Um, once again, he played with Miles Davis for many years. Um, you know, and has won, I don't know how many Grammys for, you know, best jazz guitar, jazz album of the year. And he, he's, he's often winning polls, you know, for what, for what they're worth. I don't really go into this stuff much, but he's often, you know, been ranked as the best jazz guitarist in the world and things like that. Wow. And I remember one night, um, he was playing at the basement and, um, anyway, I'd actually played at, played at a show at the basement myself, but, a week before, and I hadn't bought a ticket to Mike Stern. Mike Stern is one of my favourite players, but also one of my favourite composers. And so at the end of the night, when I was playing, I just played at the basement, I was packing up, I started talking to the manager, and I said, oh, I've probably left it a bit late, but I'd really love to get a ticket for the Mike Stern show, you know, uh, next week. Is that possible? And he went, oh, we might be able to do something. I said, I'm going to try and put the guilt trip on you. It's, it's actually my birthday on the day, so... I know I'm really late, but could I get, could I get, you know, dinner and a show so I can sit down on the, near the stage? And he said, yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I'll look after you. That's fine. No worries. I'd, I'd played at the basement a few times around then. And so he knew who I was and whatever, mm-hmm. um, which was quite nice. And anyway, I, um, you know, the next thing of oh, next week I came, and I, I get let in and, um, there's a single seat right next to the stage in front of the mic stand. Yeah. Where, the, where there's two guitars and um, I get led there and they've given me a seat that's like three metres from where Mike Stern, will be, Mike Stern will be standing up to play. Oh, wow. And Mike Stern had an amazing uh, drummer called Dave Weckl mm-hmm. that was playing with him, um, no, jazz jazz drumming legend. Um, and I can't remember actually who was playing the bass that night, but uh, anyway, just a trio. So... There's all these people, you know, 
I don't know if you ever went to the basement much, but you'd often see pretty well-known musicians in there watching the shows. Yeah, I've been there once, yeah. As well. And so I was there and sitting in front of them and Mike Stern walked out to play. Well, he brought his guitar, you know, he came out to put something else out on the stage before he came out to start the show. And he just popped something out on the stage and he came over and said, oh, how are you, how are you going, man? He let down and shook my hand. <laughs> and oh, good, you know, because he must have thought I was someone really special <laughs> to be sitting with where I was sitting. <laughs> well, you are special. Well, thank you. But, <laughs> yeah, so I'm sitting there and, and we do that. And then um, he, um, you know, he, they, he went backstage. A few minutes later they came out and they played a couple of songs. And then he, um, he said to me, everything's sounding all right. And I went, oh, sounds fantastic to me. Um, and so he talked to me a few times through the, through the show. Then at the end of the night, you know, I got up to leave and he said, oh, we better chat. Um, just, just wait a minute. <gasps> yeah. And, um, anyway, he, he had to go and do a few things for, um, yeah, talk to someone else for a press release thing. So Dave Weckl, his drummer came over and started talking to me. And anyway, I ended up talking to Dave for about half an hour. Um, and I was in heaven going, oh, this guy's amazing and lovely guy. And then Mike Stern came out and um, he was talking to me. And I was there going, this guy's got, I don't know how many Grammy Awards and he's played with Miles Davis and all of these amazing musicians. And Mike Stern's going, well, tell me about your playing. You know, what are you doing? What are you into? All this sort of stuff. And I was just blown away by how... You know, I was truly in the presence of greatness. Someone that is truly elite as a musician. Um, I'm not often overawed by people. I've, you know, I've worked with people around Sydney in different shows. That some of them have been in quite big Australian bands and things like that. And I've never been, you know, since I started really going at things and and taking myself more serious as a player. I've never been overawed by that, you know, whether someone's been in the Jimmy Barnes band no, or yeah. you know, if someone was in Air Supply or whatever. I'm working with them. That's okay. Like, that doesn't phase me. But this this was one time I'm going, this guy I think has got 17 Grammys for, you know, jazz jazz recordings and he's he played with Miles, like whatever else. And I was going, this guy is one of the most humble people I've ever met. And he was wanting to talk to me about me. Yeah. And I was really blown away by that. And we ended up talking for close to two hours. Um, and then by that stage, like the basement wanted to close. And then Dave Weckl said, man, come and get a pizza with us. You know, come back to our hotel room and hang out. Oh, how cool is that? And I really, really wanted to, but I had a meeting the next morning that I really needed to go to as well. <laughs> so I kind of thought, oh, I so want to go and do this, but I need to get some sleep. I think by this stage it was already two o'clock in the morning or something. You don't need sleep. <laughs> no, well, I, I actually regret that. Yes. I, I should have should have gone with oh, them. Oh yeah. Um, but they were lovely guys. So, like for me, that was a really special thing. I mean, the music they played was incredible, and that that level of musicianship is just out of this world. Out of this. World. It is. It's like you know watching Usain Bolt run or something like that. That's where they're at as musicians. Mm, mm. Um, but then to have them be so humble and so inclusive and inviting and everything else, I, you know, I think that's another, you know, going back to some stuff we talked about before, it's another really good lesson for musicians to remember. Yes. Um, you know, I've, I've met some of those guys. I've met a few other guys on that level. 
Um, you know, and at one stage I, I got to play with a couple of guys on that level in the jazz world um, with some, some workshops they were doing. And I always found them very, very humble and very approachable. And I was thinking these guys are the ones that could really be, don't you know who I am? And they never and were. they never were, yep. Um, and isn't that you know, the mark of a true, a great musician? Oh, look, I think so. It's certainly one of them, you know. And, you know, to compare that without speaking out of school too much, there's been a lot of singers that I've seen on various uh, music TV shows mm-hmm. without naming them, but you can probably guess what yeah, they are. Yeah. And I've worked with a number of people that have been on those shows. And look, some of them have been quite good singers, but some of them really haven't been that great. And they've been so arrogant. Yes. Um, and, you know, temper tantrums and they're the ones going, don't you know who I am? And I think, well, you, you might have been on Channel 9 or Channel 10 for a few minutes because you auditioned, you know, and try to get people to turn the chairs for you. And that's sort of, you know, that's been the biggest part of your musical journey. You didn't get through there. Just because you're on TV for a couple of minutes doesn't mean that you have the right to think you're whatever you think. That's right. Um, and, you know, to be humble is one of the greatest things and to treat everybody um, oh. as a mate is, a you know, something you can only aspire to do really and to be like. Yeah, there's another actually a gentleman that um, I used to get lessons of when I was at uni called Carl Orr, who's a wonderful guitarist. Um, you know, and Carl's worked with some great people. Like Carl's even worked for Sting and things like that mm-hmm. in the UK. Carl's a really humble guy, but Carl started working for a drummer called Billy Cobham, who once again you might not be familiar with, but mm-hmm. is a a massive name internationally in jazz drumming. And Carl one night introduced me to Billy when Billy was in Sydney, um, and Billy was the loveliest guy. Um, you know, and really humble and polite and everything else. And he's another guy that you'd go, well, this is, you know, his drumming is like watching Usain Bolt run or something like that. But just a gentleman through and through and really, yeah, so, so humble. And I I really like that, actually. Um, I think that's always a a good thing to be. Um, Yeah, because there's always going to be someone that's, you know, can do something better than you. Oh, always. And now yeah. speaking of that, I've never known anyone who's had a world record before and you're one such person. Uh, well, yes. Um, so yeah, that's... I'd like to know a little bit more about the world record for the longest bucking, busk, bucking, busking session in Tamworth. Okay. Well, I did that earlier this year. Um, I... Um, yeah, I I um, played for 26 hours and five minutes straight um, for that. And that was really important for me for a couple of charities I did it for. To yes. um, me, music and – well, I should say, I think music is a really powerful uh, tool for good, or it can be. Absolutely. And so I um, – yeah, I, I really value music for a whole for many many reasons, and and one of them is the ability to uh, you know to do some really good things. So, um, yeah, I 
have played at Ronald McDonald House in Sydney quite a few times for the, some of the kids. Yeah, I've seen that. That's fantastic. Um, and I bet they love you yeah. too. And uh, did Bianca go with you? Yeah, she's been a, she's been quite a few times with me. I've been there by myself once, and I've been with a couple of other people. I know, but yeah, mostly go with Bianca. But I, I really like we actually really love doing that yeah, for the kids. Yeah. And I look, I, I've been involved overall with with five world records in total. Five. Um, yeah, not all of them have been successful. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But uh, they've they've all been for different charities. Yeah. So and uh, so you also did. Was, oh, I'm sorry. You also did oh, the world right. the world's world longest guitar marathon. That was 2018. That's right. Yeah. So that was a bit nuts. So the the world's longest busking session was 26 hours and five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for to raise money for Ronald McDonald House in Sydney and also for Movember. Yeah. Uh, Movember's been, you know, aside from music, um, Movember's very has been very important to me. Um, I've had well when I first got involved with Movember, I'd, I'd had a mate that had suicided. Yeah, that's terrible. And I, I thought that was uh, you know really that that really affected me a lot. That happened when I wasn't much more than a kid. Yeah. And, and so I thought a lot about that. And anyway, that, that's, you know, I think men's mental health and guys talking about their issues and everything is really important. Absolutely it is. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, I had another mate that suicided about six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and that was you know, really, really challenging, actually. Um, so I did, yeah, did the, the busking session to raise money for, November and uh, and for um, Ron McDonald House because um, I, I value both of those charities very much. Um, yeah, in 2018, I did something that was a little bit more nutso than just playing for 26 hours, which was hard enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the world's longest guitar marathon, uh, I played for 125 hours. Oh, my goodness, you did. What? Yeah, I started. Did you, did you um, have any... Uh... Skin left on your bone of your fingers. <laughs> I'll tell you about that in a sec, if you like. Um, I I play. I started at quarter past twelve on the Sunday mm-hmm. at lunchtime, basically, and I finished at quarter past five on the Friday afternoon. Oh my goodness! And yeah, around seventy-two hours, I think it was in. Uh, so I was quite invested in this, yeah. and once again, I was doing this for another charity. Mm-hmm. Um. The middle finger on my left hand, so that I use for fretting strings, that split. Oh, ouch! On the top, and this is the really the bit that's a bit squeamish <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, the finger split, and the string was between my skin and sitting on the bone on my <laughs> finger. <laughs> ouch! And I was in a lot of pain. So you've bled for your art. Uh, yes, and then not long after that. The middle, uh, the ring finger on the same hand split. And this is only 70 odd hours in. So I still had another 50, 50 something hours to go. How did you do it? Um, I had, with, with those things, obviously, um, part of you, you're allowed to earn um, times for breaks. Mm-hmm. So there's not much with, with those sorts of what, what are deemed ultra marathons, with those sorts of things. You must be doing the activity for 22 out of the 24 hours in a day. Right. So, because obviously you need to be able to go to the toilet. You couldn't hold it for five days no. without dying or anything like that. So, 
Um, anyway, I used one of my breaks and I had someone that was on my team because mm-hmm. I had a team of people helping me with the whole thing. He poured super glue over my fingers to try and form a pad. Oh. So he got super glue, put it on my fingers, then got a, a, a hairdryer from somewhere. I don't even know where he got it from and dried it really quickly to try and make it as hard as possible so I could keep playing. And did it work though? Look, it still hurt like buggery. Um, but I just tried to push that aside. Mm. Um, I was doing it for a charity called Musicians Making a Difference. Oh, wow. Good on you. And they, um, they use music, dance and drama to um, help kids work through, uh, you know, work through their challenges. And I've met some of the kids that that charity works with mm-hmm. and it's, it's heartbreaking yes. with what some of them have been through. And I knew that with something like that, uh, I really had to get to the end to reap the benefits. And the benefits were raising as much money as possible. Uh, um, that, that's what it was all about. So, um, yeah, I actually, when, when that happened, um, I really just tried to focus on the kids that I was doing it absolutely. for. Absolutely. And I tried to put all of my pain and exhaustion and everything else aside and just try to focus on the fact that I had to get to the end to, um, yeah, to, you know, to, 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 for, for the most benefit for these kids, which was raising money and, uh, for them. And so, yeah, we got there with that. Um, there'd been a fair bit of interest, you know, at the start. I mean, a lot of people were thinking I was nuts. Oh yeah. Well, Um, you're not doing it. Well, I kind of am, but it was also good. (laughs) Um, Nuts, nuts, perhaps in a good way, yeah. but uh, yeah, I um, yeah, I, I had a lot of media exposure with that. Fantastic. So, I mean, in the end, that that ended up making international news. Yeah. Um. So I've got I've got screenshots from, you know, news articles and and video, you know, um, news presentations and everything from around the world, uh, which is which is really cool to look at now. At the time, I wasn't I wasn't even aware of some of that, but. Yeah. I, you know, I knew that there'd been a lot of interest because um, the location where I was doing it, people were coming in or I was getting a lot of phone calls from uh, journalists and from radio stations and TV to talk to me while I was playing with that. Um, so I knew there was a fair bit of interest. So, yeah, when, when my fingers split, um, that was really challenging. Yes. Um, but I really had to, I guess, dig deep within myself and go, Okay, I've got to get to the end because that's what's going to, you know, that's where, that's where the rewards really will be. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, like it did raise a lot of money and awareness for the charity for these and for these kids, which is fantastic. Now, um, now do you have any yeah. links or anything on any of your pages that you could give me, and we can just add the links in the description of this show, if anybody would yeah. like to um, donate to those children's charities. I or think to um, Movember. Yeah, I've got a Movember, um, Movember page that's up. Um, so there's a couple of things with Movember, but if people just, um, yeah, I'll, 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 I can give you a link to my my, my personal Movember page. Mm-hmm. I'm part of a team as well that's raised quite a lot of money, but I've got a personal one, so that that's probably that's probably the easiest place to go. Um, 
Or there'll be a link um, for um, Ronald McDonald House as well. That'd be great, I think. We'll grab those off you yeah. and I'll just add them in the description of this show. Yeah. And uh, while we're at it, now, have you re- you've recorded some songs for yourself or and you'd have that on an MP3, I gather? Um, yeah, I've got, I've got a, a few different things that I've recorded. Actually, I've got quite a lot of different things I've recorded. Well, you know what? Uh, send me one or two of those and I'm going to yeah. add them in somewhere along the line of this uh, interview, maybe yeah. one in the middle and what, one at what would the end. Like? Pardon? What sort of stuff would you like? Whatever you would like to, se- uh, to send. Um, okay. What about some finger-picking stuff or slide stuff or... Yeah, I might um, – look, I might send you – if, if it's, you're looking at two things, I might might send you an electric thing and an acoustic Perfect. thing. Perfect. Perfect. That'd be great. Yeah. That's, uh, it's been really, really interesting talking to you, Scotty. Um, I never knew you were such a deep person. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and I know I've talked for way too long. <laughs> it's never too long when you've got something to say, you know. And um, I really appreciate that you've taken your time – to sit here and talk with me, that's for sure. No, thank you. I, I really appreciate being asked. All right, welcome. All right, then, well, thank you very much and uh, good luck with your ventures that's coming up with the band and with the Miss B duo and with all the charities in Ronald McDonald House. I'm sure you will continue to do great work. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. And we're just going to finish up the show with Scotty playing the blues. that you cannot beat some blues being played. Well, everybody, we've come to the end of the evening. You have been listening to Scotty B and his wonderful stories. I really like the guy. He's really fantastic and he does a lot for children's charities and please get behind his charities because they are well worth it. Well, you have been listening to Conversations with Crystal. Of course, I'm your hostess, Crystal. Thank you for joining us this evening. And until next week when we have another wonderful artist, remember to stay safe, stay happy, stay cool, stay awesome, but of course, and always, stay tuned to this channel.
Good night. Mm-hmm.